All right, everyone. Welcome back to Money in the Tank, episode 46. You've got uh, me, Arnie, finance professional, and... Brad, journalist, startup guy. Yeah, so thanks for tuning in. We're Sands Jolly this week. Um, he's out having a bit of a bash with the golf club, so we're, we're going to take over the reins. And if you want to get us at Money in the Tank, it's at Money in the Tank on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, please give us a like, comment, subscribe, because that will helps us out immensely, and we love engaging with you. So... We're going to discuss a, a, about interest rates today because that's the hot topic. As seems to be, I think we've done about four or five pods on interest rates now, Brad Mills. Yeah, well, you know, when they're going up as fast as they're going up, <laughs> it's 70, a, seventy-five to one hundred basis points at a time. Um, I think you know, especially in the the current world with a few storms going on, I think you know, interest rates are that thing that everyone kind of goes, "Well, is it going to be the kind of the pin that pops stuff?" Right, and so far, not. Um, and we are seeing kind of, you know, is it going to be a soft landing, a hard landing, all mm. those kind of terms. But I think, you know, because a lot of people that probably listen to us and ourselves own homes, um, obviously interest rates matter, but I think the speed of interest rates kind of rising and the lack of them rising early enough is the reason why. Hot topic, right? Everyone's, everyone's oh, yeah. on it. And well, it touches every part of the financial landscape and obviously we're concerned with investment and that's a massive part of it. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that again today. Surprise, surprise. And um, But before we do... You've got a Ripken's Rules quote in, in Jolly's absence. I do, I do. Um, I've actually got two. Oh, yeah, two for one. Love it. <laughs> two for one. So uh, my first one is from the great man himself. <laughs> I, I was actually pretty impressed with these that I found. Like, of him saying these words today. Okay. Um, so the first one is, unless human behaviour changes, in brackets, and it won't, fear, greed, and folly will always drive markets. And I thought that was very... Uh, Fear greed, fear, greed, and folly will always drive markets. You know what? I don't know if I agree with that, but let's hit the second one, and then I'll come back to that. Oof. See, I totally agree with it. Okay. Uh, but obviously, you, you know, I mean, folly, yeah, we'll come back to it. Uh, the second one is a very nice one by our dear man. Um, mm. And so I think one can achieve a very pleasant lifestyle by treating human beings, selling human beings very well. I absolutely agree and with I, that. Uh, and on that one, I'll just make my comment, is uh, while I was a manager, a program manager at NAB, um, I, I've always felt like, I don't know why everyone around me doesn't get it, that if you just treat people well, then you will have a happier time working and you'll get better results as seen by like a team of 30 or 40 getting what 140 people used to do. And then when we started Hammertech, all kind of the original five founders said that, now we're going up to 100 people and it shows again, like you just treat people well whether it's in personal life or business life and yeah what do you know and it's so crazy so crazy like especially being like say in the startup world just looking at other companies and seeing how they treat people even during these hard times because when it's hard times that it matters right mm. everyone can be nice when money's slowing and everything's happening and you just see like how you don't treat them like humans and and with respect and you're like, how are you expecting the company to be successful? So, yeah, anyway, great, Rifkin. I, uh, I 100% agree with everything you said, and I, I agree with Rifkin on that second point that, yeah, like uh, if, if it's professional, the relationships you have with the people around you and your managers are critical. And when when everyone feels appreciated and happy and, and you know, like they're doing a good job um, or if they, you know, they are doing a good job and they get told they're doing a good job, it, it goes a long way to, you know, inspiring people to do their best work. And then in your, in, your, in your personal relationships, obviously you want to get, you know, get back what you put out into the world. You want to be nice to people so they're nice to you. Otherwise, they're not going to associate with you. Um, on the first point, though, that he made about fear and greed uh, and, folly. and folly, I think 
I, I guess I'm, I'm I guess I'm viewing this through the lens of investing. I do think that greed is what motivates people. Like people want to make money. Um, so I don't disagree with that part of it. But I do think that there's been a shift in recent times towards things like ESG, which we've done a podcast on, mm. and people and people are very mindful of where they're putting their capital and how that's going to affect the world. And I think that's why you're seeing the rise of companies like Tesla, like anything that's re- anything to do with renewable energy or that's going to sustain the future. It's basically people voting with their dollars. It's the way so capitalism would you say, Arnie, work. Fear, greed, principles, and folly. <laughs> Because you know, Rifkin probably wrote this in the 90s and there probably yeah. wasn't too much, um, you know, ethical values put into investment choices. Mm. And you do have people, I mean, you know, like I said, I put my whole super, you know, obviously, super is just a small, smaller part of my overall net wealth from my days at NAB and the rest of it. But you know, I put my whole super that I have into kind of like ethical funds because I was like, well, I'd rather that work long term on large scale infrastructure projects that obviously, hopefully, return a good result as well because i believe it bullish on that but it was you know part of it was around the, the principal side of things maybe um, the way you frame that maybe just maybe changed my mind maybe it is fear and greed and i don't know about folly but maybe it is fear and greed that's motivating well, folly us. last year right if you think about folly like as in terms of a lack of good sense foolishness hmm. last year or the year before that Come in the last couple of years in the market didn't feel like folly with what was going on around us. Oh yeah, there's a lot of folly. All right, yeah, no, you got me. Okay, I we, we agree with Rifkin. That was a good, good, uh, good sounding out of. But that I think we can throw principles in there. I think we can throw principles in there. Yeah, or, 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 or ethics, or ethics. But um, yeah, no, I think this the, the first point though. Going back to it really quickly and, and not to spend time on it, but like that treatment of human beings, it's just again something that I just don't understand because it's so simple and everyone talks about it, but no one actually just does it. Puts it or practice. they do it. Put in practice, so they do it, and it's like textbook. Yeah, or it's or it's fake. Like they're just oh, it's doing it because, fake. Like, yeah, you, you want you want a genuine connection. Yeah. Anyway, we get anyway. we're straying. We're getting into like this is philosophy now. Hey, well, well so. this is what me and Joel do. This is what Joel, and maybe I'm the, the guy that goes deep. Damn it. I like it. I like when you wax lyrical about these deep topics. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more. Me and Joel always come off thinking that we're like uh, philosophers. Probably why people drop off at that point. Um, <laughs> so maybe let's 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 keep going on to the uh, I guess the big news, right? Which is um, Fed. 0.75. I mean, 85% of uh, economists thought they were going to go hard run it due to the August kind of um, inflation rate sitting around 8.3%, um, which, you know, with energy coming down due to you know, Biden obviously touching the strategic reserves and the rest of it, um, probably higher than planned. They kind of thought it was going to start coming off a bit. And so, um, you know, Powell's obviously come out and uh, hit the 0.75 and, you um, and markets have kind of reacted. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, what are your thoughts, Arms, on, you know, both that? And I think you had a couple of comments around, you know, what Powers also said around um, kind of where to from here. Yeah, I think, what, what do I think about it? I think, um, I still think the Fed is doing the same thing they've done the whole way along, which is going, they're not going hard enough when they need to go hard. And like, even though it's, it's an interesting one, because they're looking at, backwards looking numbers they're looking at um historical rates to to guide them and then like as as we see the new information come out they're going to see if what they're doing has actually taken effect so i do think that they needed to raise 0.75 is obviously a significant raise but i almost feel like why didn't you do one why didn't you do 100 basis points you know like because i just feel like they need to they're going to get there anyway. Why not just nip it in the bud and do it? And then, especially I think... with 
I think last month's August figures. And I mean, yeah. and this is one of the positives about the US and EU. And I mean, me and Joel covered the laughing stuff of Australia not getting monthly inflation, like CPI information. Yeah. But I think August showed that the response wasn't there yet. And so one of that bit, like, if you're thinking, like, I'm with you, Arnie, which is if Powder said, okay, well, we're going to, this is what we're doing for the rest of the year, maybe two months ago. Hmm. And we're going to look at the rates. And then August did that. You come out and go, well, August didn't do what it is. We're going to be getting there anyway. So here's a 100 or 125%, 125% yeah. basis point increase. Yes, because it might scare the markets. Because, I mean, the markets would have a, a meltdown. But I think what the Fed's always done, like, <laughs> in my opinion, is they've tried, they're continuing to try to play that. Um, they're trying to uh, thread the needle. They're trying to thread the needle. And... I mean, I you had a time to thread the needle if you started last year. Yeah, you started in April this year. Yeah, you don't get you don't have time to thread the needle. That's um, right. Yeah, because so. what you were saying, like, I know that they've they've said that that you know they're going to get to four point four percent by the end of this year, which yep. means that the next two meetings, the November and December meeting, it's going to be another 0.75 and a point five. You know, roughly. And it came back out and reiterated that four point four by the end of this year and estimated four point six by the end of next year. Yeah, which means it's like over the course of the next year, there's room to do and what another point two five on top, and then if they need to, they'll go higher again. But yeah, that's... and you just got to remember there was only three point eight at the end of next year, only four, three, four months ago. So these yeah. these are moving figures, but they're already they're committing to four point four by the end of the year, and that's only what two, three months away. Yeah, so of, yeah, so why not why not do a bigger chunk this meeting? Exactly what you said, and then so. And then I think they're, they're also forecasting that that will be um, coming back down to 3.9 by the end of 2024 and then lower again, I think, into the twos around 2025. That's what they're saying. So um, Powell has said... When about, are the midterms? I think they are November this year. Is that right? Yeah. So my guess, is it just me? Yeah. Living in America for five years and seeing at the moment my uh, friends and colleagues' uh, commentary. Of all this stuff, I'm... We probably in Australia, I mean, look, I'm just personal opinion, not going to comment. I'd love your opinion here. Right? Generally, nature. <laughs> Generally, nature. Um, but uh, I mean, we don't necessarily politicize that much rate cuts. We do look at, obviously, we look at the um, Reserve Bank Australia as being a neutral, you know, it's tied to the government physical policy. They try and do monetary policy. Um, obviously, this kind of oversight, some kind of, you know, there is that, but when I think when the Reserve Bank did a rate rise ahead of the federal election, let's just say that, mm-hmm. um, it it surprised some of us. We're like, okay, well, they're really being independent. They're, they're actually doing what they should be doing. Yeah. In the US at the moment, the rhetoric around oil prices, inflation, um, everything like that, the politicizing of it because of midterms coming up is out of control. Um, it's like, you know, Biden at the moment, I'm not I'm not left or right, everybody, just kind of just playing and putting it out there. But, you know, this stuff that Biden's getting an absolute kick for putting out, um, you know, putting out the emergency um, one million barrels of oil a day. But then he's getting absolutely reamed about oil prices being too high. But then he's getting absolutely reamed about Saudi Arabia not increasing it anymore. Then he's getting absolutely reamed about pumping too much money into the economy when it was both left and right who pumped money into the economy. Um, and so everything over there is politicised. It doesn't matter what kind of decision is being made and i just think that the fed you know what in a way is playing politics which is like if they did a 1.25 or 1.5 and there was some hurt and say the stock market reacted as it would um i think then you know that would rub off badly in the midterms and the rest of it so they could be that's just my opinion 
there could be some um, some pressure there, some pressure there, which is kind of like okay, you can get to, you know four point four by the end of the year, but you do it in a timely fashion and don't don't spook the markets before the midterms. Um, otherwise, yeah. you know that's playing into politics, um, yeah. and that's the crazy bit that we're in at the moment is politics is so tied to some of this stuff at the moment, whether it's food prices, energy prices, all over the world. And you're seeing like so much pressure on kind of our traditional institutions and governments. It's an interesting time. The skeptic in me believes what you just said. I do think that's probably what the case is. Yeah. Like if you actually were to pull back the curtain, there's probably pressure there on power and the fed. And that's probably why they've done it this way when everyone's screaming at them to, you know, go harder, but everybody's thing- screaming at them to go harder. And yeah. if you think about it, the next, what the next rate rise will be, or the next rate rise will be this time, October. Uh, and so- November, November, I think it'd be November. Or maybe I'm wrong. Are they nothing? No, they're, they're not weird timing. On Let me have a look at it. I'll, I'll Google it. So, like, next meeting, 2022. Anyway. Well, there you go. But um, I think the September, but then when's it after that? Um, What do you got, Hans? Oh, I didn't. I, I, let, I, was just, I stopped looking. Oh, you, you go, you go, it. and I'll have a look. Oh, I got it. So, yeah, it's November. It's November 1st and 2nd, then December 13th and 14th. Oh, so when's the midterms? It's going to be November the... Late November, isn't it? So there's going to be one more. Before then, which yep. will probably be 0.75 and then yep. another 0.5. But I was going to say that Powell also, like... He re- nah, it's he- November 8th, mate. So the, the, that's the thing. They will... They might, I reckon, like, this one, they have to go whatever on. And next one... <laughs> well, you think they'll do a soft one on the next one just before? I think they'll be soft. Like a 0.5 at the next one, you reckon? Point 0.5, and I'll say they're just waiting and they'll come in hard afterwards. That's interesting. It's just like power, it's just like power saying transitory so they keep his jobs. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, at that point in time, before we had the war issue break Russia. out, if the supply side issues had a fix, which is, I think you and I both agree, not everyone agrees on this, by the way, that that's long-term, the only way to solve this inflation crisis is to fix the supply side issues. Uh, and the, the doing this like rate rises is going to yeah cause demand destruction, and it's going to stop people, um, you know, spending on like frivolously. They're going to need to reserve their money for things they need. But truly, but truly, that's that's only going to fix it in the short term. Mm-hmm. And and then once you um, cause a recession, which is what they're trying to do, and the work people come out of the workforce, it's basically just prolonging the pain. Like if you haven't fixed that supply side issues at that point in time. And then you cut rates. Inflation is just going to come back. So, and there's no, um, I mean, there's no precedent in history, in the whole of history. Um, fun fact: don't know if we covered it before, but we've never been in a recessionary environment where rates are getting reason. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, the traditional thesis is recession needs to stimulate growth, therefore cut rates, right? Hmm. And so, uh, again, I think that point just backs up that a large amount of inflation is, and even with Russia, but. A large amount of inflation is being caused by still infrastructure and supply chain issues um, reverberating. And some of that's going to be infrastructure getting built, some of that's going to be new supply lines, some of that's going to be geopolitics, some of that's going to be whatever, and that plays out. But if we're in a high interest rate environment, when jobs getting cut, like, you know, um, I know the one you like, Meta cutting 10%, but mm. I think, you know, you've got nearly every company um, that I know <laughs> cutting, like, especially in, like, say, the startup world. 10, 20% of workforce's blanket at the moment uh, yeah. preparing for a tighter environment. And so it's going to be an interesting one. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, from from the rates, I guess the stuff that um, I wanted to throw up, I don't know if you've got any other well, questions. Yeah, before you do, I'll just say one more thing about yeah. uh, Fed 
Um, so Jay Powell did say that he thinks that they are currently at the lower end of their restrictive policy. That's right. So, so that means that they could go a lot harder if they need to. Um, and the other thing they also mentioned was that they are still, they, they reiterated what he said at Jackson Hole. They are very, or they're high. I think he said they're highly attentive to the inflation risks. So, and yeah. that is one thing. So at least they're now saying, because they've obviously they've got two mandates, like everyone knows, which is jobs, inflation, um, and throwing the needle means trying to like get both basically as good as they can be. Um, and he reiterated again that inflation, I mean, that's probably the positive for me, mm. is that he seems to be locked on that inflation is the problem and needs to be fixed. Um Again, how we go about it and how much can be fixed by raising interest rates, we'll see. But he's, I mean, that's the, um, the other thing that people have to realise is that the central banks only have one tool. Mm. They have only got interest rates. And so when people were asking him, like, you know, what's going to be happening with house prices, all the rest of it in terms of um, over our end um, at the meeting, I think it was last week, the Parliamentary Committee about rate rises here in Australia. Yeah. And they were asking him about, like, property prices and how much this is going to get. He's like, it's not a mandate. <laughs> We've got two things, which is jobs and, and inflation, and we've got one tool to do it. So, yeah. um, I mean, I wouldn't... It's not a job that I would be envious of at the moment. No um, way. Difficult. Difficult, difficult. And then you are, like, absolutely responsible for what happens to the entire economy, and everyone looks at you like, why didn't you do it earlier? Why didn't you do it too much? Why didn't you do it enough? And so um, remember that we are humans, and that's why anyone that can forecast where they think the markets are going are a liar. Um, <laughs> so what I want to throw up was just a bit of a, and for our YouTube or video listeners. Yeah, so for anyone watching and or anyone who's listening, I should say, Brad's just throwing up some um, interesting global central bank policy rates and what they're doing around the world. Yeah, and I just thought this was just interesting to kind of, obviously it's about, I don't know, I'm going to take just about 25, 25, you reckon? Maybe 30 countries up on this list. Yeah, about um, 30, 34, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it, it ranges from the central bank rate, you know, in, say, Denmark and Thailand at around 0.75%, all the way down to um, Argentina, 75%, but really the one above Argentina is 13%, being Brazil. Um, and then your CPI year on year, um, you know, ranging anywhere between kind of 1.9, I think, with the lowest up to 80%. I think Turkey is the highest at the moment, closely followed by Argentina at 78. Mm. I wouldn't want to be there at the moment. Um, and then just kind of a bit of an idea about where the real central bank's rates are um, today. Um, and kind of seeing where everyone's at and then what their last move was. And other than Japan, which is still a negative interest rate, which is amazing. Um, but, I mean, they've been in that kind of stagflation uh, environment for 20 years. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, China, um, who is trying to stimulate growth. And so everyone, every economist that actually is looking at China at the moment, whether it's from their 31% fall in, uh, you know, new property dwellings, whether it's to do with their uh, their trade balances, all the rest of it, um, they're in a recession at the moment. Um, and so they're actually in an environment that is not you've got bad inflation. And so they're cutting cutting rates at the moment. Um, obviously, you've got Russia who's playing a bunch of stuff. They're cutting. And then Turkey is doing reverse economics with the Erdogan economics and, uh, and cutting. But everyone else is hiking. Um, and, it, you know, everyone's 
it, it, it just seems everyone's moving back to that kind of that four to five. The majority of people are moving back to that four, five, six range with, with people on the outside. Um, but it is something that is global. And that's kind of like a reason why I just wanted to throw that up really quickly is not necessarily to talk about the outliers or you know, the good news, you know, the news stories there, but just kind of going that everyone's hiking, everyone's moving it towards this bit. Um, and I think we've got a ways to go um, as, you know, you look at people's inflation numbers across the board. Um, and if you kind of average it out, it's probably, you know, you take out the outliers, it's probably sitting around the eight, 8%, right? Um, and it shows that like, it isn't just, uh, you know, a cheap money or too much money out there problem. A lot of these countries are secondary or third third countries to the US dollar. Um, not all of them printed money during the um, during COVID and the rest of it. And so there is got to be a huge supply. This is, the, this is the thing, right? Like this is the argument I've had with people or discussed about this exact issue is that like when, when people say it's a demand problem, I don't think you or I would disagree that it stems from a demand problem yes. because you've got the money printing and 40% and, money printing. Yeah, yeah. In Australia or the U S or any of those like Western countries that did a lot of it, that's obviously where you're going to spur the demand. And then who, who, you know, where are those supply chains located that go to meet that demand? They're located, you know, in places like China or India. And when you've got this, like, I guess, domino effect of mm-hmm. supply chains getting locked up and then you've got the, uh, the energy, um, the, the shock from the war, couple with that and then you've got COVID which is taking people out of the workforce which means they can't get back to things like uh you know the shipping or the ports or whatnot it's just this this domino effect and even so yeah when people talk to me about this they say how can you say it's a supply problem when there's evidence that we produce more goods than ever in like multiple industries you know it last year 2021 so you know we're clearly it's not um a supply problem because we've got more than ever and I'm saying yeah you've also got all the, like it just takes one element of that supply chain to break down, and then you got lags, and you got you know whatever's going to happen, uh, shortages or oversupply or whatever. So I think we, I mean, the, the easiest way to kind of look at it and not bang on it about too much, but the easiest way to look at it is we've been used to for the last twenty years just in time supply chains, and that's why we've got prices where they are. And just in time means that basically every part of that supply chain works efficiently and. We get our product, the product's always on the shelves and they get the product. They don't want to hold stock because holding stock costs money and the rest of it, it just in time arrives. And so when you go into the store and suddenly, you know, there was lettuces, $10 or there was, I know, I know that was to do with floods, but every lettuces or I have to wait five months for a piece of furniture or, you know, TVs at the start of the year were four months or autos, you know, cars, auto, cars second, like, you know, brand new cars, um, graphics all, cards. All you have to wait is for one Chips. thing, one yeah. thing in that supply chain not to or chips, you know, um, one thing that's supply chain to not <laughs> match what everyone else is doing, you know, throws it out. And so I do, I mean, you know, if I was a guess, guess I think we're going to go too hard one way and then it's probably going to go deflationary. That's just my, uh, my, yeah. my guess. Um, but just, uh, I mean, quickly talking about, because we talked about before how rates touch everything. Um, just some quick kind of, you know, just to show that, I guess that flow of, what it touches and make sure that everyone's aware of kind of all the different facets that uh, rent rises kind of impact. Um, so the ASX has kind of dropped to a two-month low. Wall Street sinks um, ahead and continues to sink. Um, the RBA is now facing a big loss from the emergency stimulus. This one was interesting, I thought, 
which was the Reserve Bank um, revealed that its $300 billion pandemic era bond buying um, is now going to cost them another 35 to $58 billion due to, obviously, higher interest rates mm. um, and the difference on bonds around that. So that was a that was an interesting one. Um, <laughs> little room for optimism, standard uh standard kind of journalism there um, that will throw <laughs> this in. Um, again, I'll always come back to my point, which is um, they'll never say anything until we're in the amongst it, and then they'll start saying stuff as we're working through it. And we weren't in a recession last year, the global. I think the global uh, economy is in a recession now, <laughs> and it's going to work its way. How you know, does it get worse for a while? Um, what needs to happen to get it out of uh, – start un- unwinding, right? But uh, the, the – uh, the journos love to uh, throw out a thing out there, but um, I think the Australian dollar at the moment is an interesting one to watch. So, you know, I've got a bunch of mates here in Australia that are American and they're always asking me, should they be bringing over more money now, less money now, etc. I'm like, anyone that can tell you that is a <laughs> is a genius. Um, I can always just give you an opinion. But um, just so people understand that if one country, let's say America, continue to raise interest rates and therefore... You know, if you put your money into an interest-bearing account or bond, it creates a demand for the US dollar. Um, And if Australia doesn't, then there's less demand for the Australian dollar. That's one of the reasons why people buy currencies of of countries and um, is to buy things like bonds or or deposits. And um, they believe, you know, one one thing people believe that due to the Fed's kind of 0.75, it's going to put pressure on um the rba um, because the dollar hits a two and a half year low against the us dollar um and now seeing more than likely not the rba will lift rates by 0.5 percent in october um depreciating because the depreciating australia dollar is another reason why the central bank would opt for such a large move um further declines would add to imported if inflationary pressures so basically as our dollar goes down it costs more to buy the same product from america um, and then that for that then enforces reinforces the um, inflationary because we do import a lot of goods from Australia. Um, from America, up, yeah. from America. Sorry, the upside. The only thing, the upside um, for Australia is always an upside in everything. Is that as our products, as our sorry, as our currency weakens, our exports become more competitive on the global landscape as well. So there is there is always two sides, but. Um, for things like, for some reason, even though we do produce so much, you know, resource and the rest of it, we still import uh, refined resources and goods. We like to dig things out of the ground, send them overseas, get them refined, and then buy them back. And so, um, <laughs> as a country, and so watch out for that. And also, I think Arnie, you're talking about investing as well for the currency. Yeah, well, like as you were mentioning, Brad, like if you haven't already got US dollars sitting there and you want to invest in that market, well, every time the US um, raises rates and we don't follow suit or we don't follow suit as strongly, it means it's going to be more expensive to convert your Australian dollars into US dollars. So, or or conversely, if you've got US stocks that are doing well and you were to, um, you know, bring bring some of that money home, you're going to be getting bang for your buck when it comes from US dollars to Australian dollars. So. General in nature, I'm not saying do one or the other. It's just uh, something you're going to have to manage and and track as part of your investing portfolio is what's happening with your um, FX FX movements and, and and changes. So, and that's one thing I'll, I'll just kind of touch on that for anyone ever looking to uh, do a startup and the rest of it as you're as you're traveling, uh, you know, your journey. When there is a time to diversify into other economies. Um, do so. So, you know, we started Hammer Tech back in 
2014 and uh, 2016-17, we were in a place where it was probably too early, but we decided to do it anyway and diversify because um, construction is a very cyclical um, kind of boom-bust kind of uh, industry. And uh, we thought, well, as long as one's booming, the other one won't be busting. And uh, that decision now um, is paying off because, <laughs> you know, as Australia goes down, which was where our kind of um, our main money was being made, uh, our growth is in the US and at the moment, you know, you've got that side. So Australia helped us during the G- uh, during COVID because yep. um, Australian construction stayed open, America shut down and then vice versa. So just another reason for diversification, everybody. Um, and then I think, you know, it's just tying into, I guess, the, the story of rates, currencies, demand for Australian products. Um, I just saw that... Uh, that a 31% fall in new residential housing sales um, in China indicate a rapid slowdown in new construction and steel demand mm. um, and iron ore. And since Australia is still a huge, huge, huge exporter of iron ore to China, that again will be less demand for the Australian um, dollar. Um, yield curves, Arnie? Yeah, so well, well, you, I, I was going to touch on it in news, but we may as well talk about it now. Is that um, I, I saw that the ten and thirty year yield curve had inverted, and I think you just before this pod you mentioned to me that you've been tracking it, and the ten and two has inverted as well. So as of as of the as of when I looked at this, which has probably changed now, it would have changed by now. That the ten year yield was three point five six, and the thirty year yield was three point five two, uh, meaning that you can get a better yield on the ten year instrument than you would on the thirty. And normally, tankers, you would see a better yield on the longer dated instrument because you know you're holding it for longer and that that i guess that um when we say inverse yield curves we're not trying to speak some funny language uh, <laughs> just literally the reverse to what the yield curve usually happens which is just a the longer you hold it the, the more interest you get on it and what the generally an inverse yield curve indicates is that a recession um mm. is imminent or we're currently in it, and on the screen at the moment, you'll see that the two-year yield um, actually hit above, went over 4%, um, when the 10-year was at 3.6. So um, that, that, that 10-2 is a particularly sensitive one that people look at, not just for a recession that Brad mentioned, but also when they're predicting a crash. And in every instance of this happening throughout history of markets, it's always been followed by a crash. So I'm not saying it's going to happen now. This is general in nature. But it's just that that is a powerful um, indicator that we look at. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, no, 100%. And just to like just add a little bit more spice and herbs to the uh, the recipe <laughs> at the moment. Um, and look, this is not negative news, guys. It's just updating, right? And kind of talking to what what's actually happening in the markets. Um, uh, I think this is positive and negative. You have obviously the negative, which is uh, Russia announcing uh, part mobilization into mm-hmm. Ukraine. So that is an escalation, unfortunately, in the Ukraine-Russia um, conflict, which is you know, never has a good outcome for anybody, really, let's be honest. Um, but I think the positive, at least, I can think of is that recently at the SEO, um, which is where kind of, you know, China, India, um, Iran, a whole bunch of uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization um, get together it, Putin was seen as kind of utilizing this as saying, okay, well, you know, our economy is basically going to get everything that we lose to the Western societies is going to be bought up by uh, 
other, you know, non-Western economies, and that I've got the full support of, uh, you know, India and China um, at the moment, and you know, the word out from that, and also followed on by his announcement this morning of part mobilisation, is they're both, you know, a genuine and clear signal of annoyance. <laughs> Um, they made him wait on them um, for the first time ever and cancelled a whole bunch of uh, events with him in terms of dinners and the rest of it and basically told him to uh, say, today his era is not an era of war and please basically um, stop it. So they will, as you were saying, Arnie, uh, carry on in terms of Modi and Z. Yeah, yeah, that that will definitely be, that will benefit their own countries as much as they can from any source and if they can get cheap hydrocarbons from russia then you know we can't really begrudge them that but it's nice to see that they've come out in particular modi has come out and said you stop this um because it's just from a from a humanitarian perspective it's just horrible so anyway. and then also from a, a pressure internally where you know a large proportion of indians um are living at the poverty or below the poverty line and when you have massive increases to food prices and energy prices like you know, cooking oil, for instance, yeah. staple. Um, he's receiving a lot of, so he's kind of like, okay, <laughs> enough, wrap it up. And so, you know, I don't know if this part mobilization is that escalation, or is it just to kind of grab a bit of the land and then try and get to the talking? Who knows? I'm not a uh, a war specialist. I can just hope for. I see it as an escalation. I just hope that it all wraps up soon for everybody's case, both humanitarian, economically, geopolitically, everything. Mm. Um, last view is. Uh, Another glorious headline, uh, <laughs> which is Aussie house prices could fall by more than 30%, which is only brings it just under pre-pandemic levels, everybody. So even if they did go through, if you bought a house five years ago, you're still up. Um, so if you really bought in the last few years, that you'd be in, uh, in a bit of a trouble. Um, but that's basically saying that some new modelling that's going off the back of a whole bunch of other modelling, I'm not going to read everybody's, but, uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's just Kieran Davis, his chief macro strategist, is off the modelling of Trent Saunders and Peter Chulik and their sophisticated accounts, blah, 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 uh, <laughs> you know, are saying, you know, in line with kind of what banks are saying, 20 to 30%. I think the interesting one, though, uh, which Arnie will talk on later, is the immigration story. Uh, which yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. probably counter this one. And last but not least, for me, is... Big bad buzzer. Big bad buzzer. Um, saying there is risk growing in many sectors. The unfettered narrative feeding itself until absurdity explodes, revealing the folly to all and easily starting a revolution. <laughs> wow. Okay, so, buzz. Okay, buzz. And, uh, and then he's standard. Even the chart looks like a heart attack when looking at the Dow Jones. Oh, my God. He's, he's, a, he's a little a, ray of sunshine, isn't he? He does. He makes me feel good about myself. But I think, uh, um, they're, but they're, they're, the house price is one in Australia. That's a that's a tough one. Um, but as Jolly would say, tankers take it all with a grain of salt because the economists uh, very rarely hit the nail on the head. So we'll see what happens in that one. But um, yeah, you, you mentioned that other news item which I've got. I wanted to touch on in my rapid fire. So cheers, mate. Um, and it was basically that yeah, Australia is committed to raising their permanent immigra immigration cap to one hundred ninety five thousand people a year. So what does that mean for us? It means we're going to get more labour in the country, and that means more housing. So. Hopefully that is a good counter to counter weight to that story you were telling us about, which will be, um, you know, getting those dwellings up and about. And also and... fixing the supply problem is another yeah. like huge thing about this 195%. And I will say again, not left or right, but the job summit that Albo and his team ran actually bringing in and listening to people and looking at specific industries 
I think it's going to be great for supply side. You know, there's yeah. going to be more done. There's always going to be more done. Absolutely. But I think, uh, you know, having a look at, um, yeah, I just think for, for me, there's a lot of good stuff that's going to be coming out of that. <laughs> I'm going to, all right, I love that. I'm going to hit you with my rapid fire news items. And then the last news item, I'll, I'll segue for you, Brattle. So yep. hey, we, we basically touched on them all. It was basically that, um, China's onshore yuan is, is weakening compared to the US dollar, and that's been cited as entering the danger zone. Um, we know that Ooh, Gun, Gun Black <laughs> has said on CNBC that the recession could be fairly deep if the Fed keeps hiking rates, and we know they're going to. Well, it sounds like they're going to. You mentioned it earlier that um, Meta in particular, and I mentioned this one because that's one I keep an eye on, Tankers. So generally, they should do your own research, but they're cutting 10% of their workforce in the coming months, and they're encouraging... Uh, those workers to reapply to other parts of the business, which is an odd uh, way to spin this news about cutting their employees. Um, well, I, I promised to give some Elon news on every podcast. So I, I did a quick dig and I couldn't find anything massive, but he has gone to bat for himself and his family about um, the, I guess the the narrative that they benefited from apartheid. And he's sort of come out swinging against um, Robert Reich about that. So you can go check that out yourself. And, I know we at Money in the Tank are eagerly uh, anticipating the outcome of uh, the Twitter decision in the Delaware Court of Chancery. So that's approaching pretty quickly. I think it's happening mid-October, Brattles. And the last news item I had, which you could maybe add a little bit of flavor to, is that Ethereum has merged and is no longer proof of uh, work. It's now proof of stake. Hey, finally it's happened. And Mm. I think, you know, the good things here is for those that, don't understand the differences. Um, proof of stake will be a 99.6% reduction in energy costs. Um, you no longer will make money from processing the transactions as a miner. Um, you now will make money if you want to make money in terms of um, the staking is by staking and putting your uh, ETH into staking pools, mm-hmm. um, and which are then kind of used for validation and, and kind of, you know, um, returns. Um, it moves it to kind of the, what I'm going to call the industry standard. Uh, basically now there's very few coins outside of um, Bitcoin and, you know, there's a few other coins out there, but hardly any um, coins now that are like smart contract bases or anything like that that are not proof of stake. Mm. Um, it's kind of, you know, when you're 99.6 reduction. Um, uh, ETH has got the People say, well, you know, with proof of stake, it's the same as proof of um, work that, you know, the concentration of too much in one spot is not necessarily good and sustainable, but they're completely kind of diversified in terms of who's holding it and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just the next step in the right direction of devolution of kind of Ethereum being, because what it's going to also allow is increased transaction speeds. Mm. Um, and so the block doesn't have to be kind of worked. <laughs> Um, anymore it just kind of you know gets allocated and done and so it's probably going to see some more deflationary pressure since they every block was burning some ETH in, in the in the past due to fees and the rest of it so that's still causing uh, I think it's just a positive I mean the price at the moment is still hovering around 12 50 the way I view that is like it's a risk because people were like understandably upset that like it pumped before the merge the merge happened the price collapsed I think Ethereum is still a risk asset, although a promising one. And it's it's going through the same cycle as every other risk asset at the moment, which is, you know, we're in a bear market. So 
I don't. Buy the help sell, sell the news in crypto. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll just say across nearly every, whether it's ADA, whether it's Ethereum, whether it's whatever. Or SHIB. SHIB. <laughs> but generally, like when they've got an announcement coming, like it runs and then it happens. And it, so people yeah. sell, sell the news. Um, and that's just generally a, a, it's a pretty standard. But people, you know, thought that this was going to be the, you know, some people believe this was going to be kind of like the re invigoration of ETH and the crypto markets and it hasn't turned out to be so. And I think that everyone continues to forget that so much of the top 10, 20 coins are held by institutional investors, not retail investors anymore. Mm. And they are a part of a portfolio. And when a portfolio, like when markets are bad and interest rates are going up and yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's it's tight, right? And so until until it decouples, um, you're not going to see much. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's a positive step for the journey of Ethereum and crypto as a whole. So. Love it. Well, that's it. That's that's us for the week. But I got a fifty fifty for you. Actually, it might even be more appropriate to call it a third, a third, a third this week. And it's one I've been thinking about recently because my own tastes have changed. But I wonder, Brattles. Do you prefer, it's like, how do you prefer to eat your eggs? And I know there's more than three ways, but I'm going to hit you with fried eggs. Okay, I'll throw in there. Fried eggs, poached eggs, or scrambled eggs. If you had to choose, and Tank, is the reason we do this is to highlight that as an investment, as in life choices, people have differing opinions, and that's okay. So I want to know. And you can also ask, you can also ask, you can also ask information related to for the choice. Am I eating out, am I at home, or am I at a restaurant? All right, let's just say we're at a restaurant where they are making the eggs, all three of the egg styles to perfection with all the accoutrements that you might want. So it's they're all perfect in every way, shape. And are we just having eggs on toast or is there other things? Yeah, no, there can be anything. Like it could be, it's an, it's an egg dish. So yeah, it's like, which one do you prefer? Along I'm going to go, I used to be, I would say, I used to be 100% when eating out a poached guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that restaurants in Melbourne now have learnt more of a French style of cooking scrambled eggs now where they're silky. And so I'll uh, I'll go scramble. I think there's scramble with a bit of spanner crab and stuff. Scrambled, okay. See, I I love a good scramble. And when I'm making it at home, I tend to go for a scramble. I I was used to be the same, but now that restaurants are doing it better. Yeah, yeah. But so when I'm out, I like to get the poached eggs. Yes. Typically, when I get the poached eggs, I want them as part of a wider dish, like an Eggs Benedict or, or Avo on toast with some nice poached eggs. So I don't know, man. There's some bloody good ones out there. See, at home, I've moved. I used to be a scrambled man at home. Now I'm a fried man at home. Ooh. Um, and I used to be a poached, and now that's yeah, it's investment choices, aren't it? They change. <laughs> they change. So we're talking about the start of the show. We're talking about how nice it is now that, like, I guess our investment horizons are. We don't worry about what happens day to day and in the markets and the rest of it because now the only thing we rely on is kind of our own choices about where we think kind of an industry or a stock is heading. So it's, it's the way to be. You you could get caught up in this short term news cycle. There's always something bad happening. Jolly pointed out a couple of weeks ago that if you look at the history of the Australian stock market, there's always a crisis on the horizon or happening. If you just you know generally in nature, but if you buy good companies, you hold them through it through a through a long enough time horizon, you're going to do okay. And as I say to everybody. If uh, if those good companies go bankrupt and like the whole economy is falling apart and like the whole financial institution, 
there's going to be more problems worrying about than your superannuation money. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I always just say that to like make myself like just remember that like people are like, but what about the entire financial collapse and the whole world falls apart and the rest? I'm like, yeah. you think I'll be caring about my stock losses at that bigger, point in time? Bigger problems. Bigger problems. Well, that's, <laughs> mate, that's um, 46 in the books. We're closing in on, on the magical Ooh. 5-0 where we're going to raise the bat. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome, mate. Good one, mate. I'll catch, I'll catch you next week, eh? Uh, matey, have a good one. See you, mate. Bye.